Hello and welcome to Sketch Therapist. It's the podcast that improves your sketch life. I'm your host, Roshan Curé, and this is episode 50. I wanted to do something special for episode 50, and so I couldn't think of anything particularly amazing. I hope you enjoy it nonetheless. I don't know if you can hear the birds singing around me. Hopefully... Hopefully they'll make a little bit of a noise, but I can hear them quite well. I'm on the road just outside my house in Kilcolgan and I have my sketchbook open on a wall in front of me and I'm looking at the ruins of Tyrone House. Um, It's something I've sketched so many times and it's been a kind of a, a way to track my progress in terms of how easily I draw over the years because I remember... When I started it, I'd be like, oh, my God, how am I going to get all these windows in? Because it is a very windowy building. We're looking at, let me see, two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, twelve windows on the two side wings of the front. And then there's three, six, nine. What's that? Twelve plus nine is what? Twenty one. Gosh, that's a funny number. So there's twenty one windows on the front of the house. There's a car coming now. Do you know what it is? Actually, it's a horse box. It's it's a uh, it's a jeep pulling a horse box and I'm going to have a look now and tell you whether there's a cow in it or a horse because you never know around here. It's my neighbor. That's my neighbor James. Nothing in the nothing in the horse box. Uh so I don't know where he's going. Maybe he's going to I don't know, a country fair. Maybe he's going to pick up a horse. Or a cow. don't think James has any horses. No, he's going to get a cow. He only has cows. Um, another car coming, so hopefully it'll be quiet again after that. We're usually pretty tranquil around here. It's a fabulous place to go for a cycle because you won't meet any cars on the roads. And it's pure country all the way. And when you're on your bike, you're just high enough to look into the fields on either side of you. And it's just lovely. So anyway, here I am. I'm drawing Tyrone House. Tyrone House, as I've told you before, was built in 1789 and was built by uh, somebody, somebody, St. George. I think Christopher was the first St. George. Um, and seemingly he wasn't too bad. He he would go over to England and try and argue for um, peasants' rights um, in the Parliament. But... The lads who came after him, his sons and his grandsons and his great-grandsons, seemingly they were a desperate lot and they were reviled by the locals here, which I've spoken about before, um, which is kind of a pity and uh, be nice if everybody could just get along. But that's the way it was. They treated their tenants really badly, as far as I, I've, I've read. So um, it's kind of funny when foreigners come over here and because they do occasionally, they come over from the States. I think there's quite a lot of St. George's who've... Um, what's the word, proliferated in the US. And their descendants come over here and say, I've come to trace my family roots. So they come along and um, they go up to visit the house and sometimes they get in touch with me. Well, obviously, I only know about the ones who get in touch with me. But they get in touch with me um, because they found my drawings of Tyrone House online. And um, if they call out then, and if it's a nice day, then I might walk up to the house with them. 
or maybe meet them for a coffee or something like that in Galway. But uh, they're always really upset when they find out that their ancestors weren't weren't all they might have been. But like, you know, that's just the way it was. Like people say things like, I, I was reading this great book, which I highly recommend. Now it's got its flaws, Andrew. Andrew Doyle is the author. It's definitely got its flaws. It's called The New Puritans and it's about... Um, how the whole sort of woke ideology is 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 taking over um institutions and um i don't know public bodies and things like that um <clears throat> excuse me and if you think you're going crazy with all the nutty stuff that's going on then it'll become a comfort to you to read the book and find out that you're far from alone but as i say it does have its flaws but one of the things that andrew says is that uh forgotten now oh yeah was that sorry about that that people go on about attitudes that are outdated now in the current climate attitudes from maybe the 19th century that they're outdated and he's like uh yeah that's like how dates work things that happened in the early 19th century are outdated now because that's not the date we're in so um you know people behaved in a way that they got away with at the time um, and it's not to say that everybody in positions of power and wealth in this area or anywhere else were also badly behaved. They weren't. We have the um, the Reddington family up in the next village in Clarenbridge who are remembered by the locals. Well, the, de- the, the, the alive ones are not remembering them. But um, but they, they the stories have been handed down, I suppose. That's the way things happen around here. And uh, apparently they were very nice to their tenants. So... It does depend on which family you're talking about. But from my point of view, standing here on this road on this slightly cold December morning, I love the fact that this ruin is here because it's really gorgeous. It's a big cube. 21 windows on the front. Uh, 2, 4, 6, 8, 12, 14, 16. There would have been 16 windows on the side, except that part of the wall has crumbled away. And then I don't know how many there are on the back. Loads. So it would have been bright inside, that's for sure. They didn't scrimp on windows, but it would have been cold and it would have been damp in the winter anyway. Well, I don't know, maybe they kept it dry with loads and loads of fires. And uh, I love drawing this place. And it, I, over the years, I worked out good ways to draw a building covered in windows. I would draw lines, kind of guidelines, in a very thin nib to try and get the the windows to line up. But uh, I don't have to do that anymore, which is great. Hold on, there's a car coming. One sec. There you go. He's he's gone off now. But um, it's really it's very still here, and the leaves have finally fallen off the trees. There's still a well. I'm looking at a little hazel kind of a shrub, kind of a scrubby little tree in front of me and that's still got some leaves on it. But by and large, I'm looking at bare branches and bare trunks. So I shall, if this drawing works out well, I shall post it as part of my my little illustration to go with the pod. But um, all I can say is that you keep drawing and you keep drawing and you keep drawing and one day you can draw without any guidelines and without any kind of uh, hesitation. It's great. And it does come. It comes. It comes to everybody. Anybody can 
master something if they go at it long enough and they have the right approach. So look, I'll sign off and uh, chat to you in a small bit. I've just received an email from a gentleman named Carlos. Carlos tells me that I'm doing really well with my podcast, Sketch Therapist, and I'm to keep up the good work. He tells me that I'm number 23 in the category Visual Arts in Ireland. Now, that sounds great, but first of all, we're not that many people in Ireland. That's the first thing. And you might say, well, still, you're number 23. The thing is, we don't really have much in the way of visual arts in Ireland, which leads me to suggest that perhaps we don't have many visual arts categories of podcast in Ireland. And I'm even thinking, do we have any others? Do we have any others? Am I the only one? I suppose there must be 22 other categories called visual arts in Ireland. Do you know what they might be? It might be that other people from other countries have made podcasts called visual arts and that they're being listened to in Ireland. So maybe things aren't too bad. Maybe things aren't too bad. Well, I'm number 100 in the category visual arts in America. I'll take that. I will. I'll take that. I think that's not bad. I think that's not bad. Now, as I say, most people don't think that visual arts and listening to things are natural bedfellows. So there is that. There may be, that may be a factor. So maybe I should just take my number 23 in the category visual arts in Ireland and be absolutely thrilled with it. And thank you. Thank you for listening to Sketch Therapist and putting me on this scale. (laughs) Whether it's good or bad, I don't know. I really don't look at my analytics too much when it comes to my podcast because I don't want to start wondering whether I should be doing X, Y and Z better. I prefer just to just to tell you whatever I feel like telling you and take it from there and see what happens. And I have lots of things to tell you. So that's good. Well, I'm back from France now and it's all very nice. Nice to be back in Ireland um, in some ways and not so nice in other ways. Um, I like the fact that in France you've got croissants and cafe au lait everywhere, but you kind of do in Ireland as well. There are lots of things I love about France that I just can't get here. But I thought it would be interesting to talk about, uh, I suppose, an overview of the French way of life, because I do have a window into the French way of life that isn't available to people who don't speak French well enough to sit and, you know, shoot the breeze and listen to what's going on and and notice what's going on in the streets and being able to actually understand what's going on. I mean, the same thing would apply to, say, for example, Iran, because there aren't that many people who speak Persian well enough or Farsi to be able to stroll around the streets and understand what people are saying to each other, know what's coming coming on on the TV or over the airwaves or whatever the case may be. So you can't really talk about a country and a culture unless you really, really know what's going on. Otherwise, you're always listening to it secondhand. 
And I'm just about to ask you to do that because I'm going to tell you my particular take on France. Okay, so here's the first thing. In my home, in my personal life, I live with someone who's very anti-Europe in general. And I'm talking about my husband, Marcel, and he is very uh, conflicted about this, even though I don't think he'd agree with that. But um, he is uh, anti-EU as a as an experiment, as a cultural experiment. And he thinks it's, um, ah, he just isn't into it at all. He's absolute true blood Brexiteer and very much believes that Britain is better off on its own and not under the the yoke of the EU and all that stuff, all the typical stuff that lots of pro-Brexit people feel. Um, And there isn't any nuance there at all. Uh, Again, just like most people who vote one way or another, let's face it, most people aren't grey. They're black or white and they feel that, you know, this is the way it is and everything about this way of voting is good and every way of, uh, everything about that way of voting is bad and I know which side I'm on. Well, sadly, I'm not like that. I've never been a black and white uh, person at all. I tend to see the grey area in absolutely everything, which sounds really mature and clever. At least I like to tell myself it is. But it, it does make for tricky things, tricky situations, because it can be very hard to decide which way you come down on a given argument. And really only when things are really, really strong one way or the other, do I find it um, easier to make up my mind about a certain way of thinking. So here's what I think about France. Um, Can't really talk about any other countries in Europe because, well, I haven't just come back from there. And yes, I was only in France for 11 days. So that's not very long to make up your mind about a place, except for the fact that I've been in France for, I suppose, not going to say extended periods, but for for a week or, or whatever, a week and a half at a time, many, many times. And of course, I lived in Paris for a year back in the day. But that was mm, a little bit different, maybe because, well... Is it because I was so much younger? I was only 23. No, not really. No, not really. I think it's probably just the passage of time. And the fact that it was a big cosmopolitan city means that I perhaps didn't get as French an experience as I as I might have done somewhere. A little bit more in, I suppose, La France profonde, in deepest France. So the first thing I would say about Clermont-Ferrand, because I can't talk about anywhere else at the moment, is it's kind of like a sort of a, in some ways, a kind of a fantasy world where it's, you know, a bit like one of those maps on the beginning of Lord of the Rings, which I haven't read, so I don't really know. But you know the way those kind of brown drawn maps with volcanoes and mountains around a little hamlet. Well, Clermont-Ferrand is a bit like that because it is surrounded by, um, as it happens, a chain of volcanoes, a chain of extinct volcanoes. And Clermont-Ferrand itself is in a crater in the middle of the volcanoes. And I did tell you all about that in, was it last week's episode? I think it was. But what I feel is this, it's kind of like this parallel world of ladies and gentlemen in some ways. Um, those of you who aren't French and who, who've, who've lived there long term, you might say that perhaps people are less than polite, but I find them very, very polite. Everywhere you go, it's bonsoir, 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 and it's bonjour, bonjour, and bon fin de journée, have a nice end of day, and bon journée, have a lovely day, and bon après-midi, and bon continuation, and all the things that I did refer to in my last week's episode. It's kind of like a place where people or maybe a bit more tasteful. Now, they don't go around wearing cool 1940s, 1950s neutral clothes, but they do tend to wear neutral clothes and less garish clothes. So in terms of just your average people walking along, they're definitely a little bit more tasteful 
than, than in other places. I'm sorry, that's extremely judgmental about people who wear bright clothes. But that's, that is how I feel. Because you don't look around and see tons and tons of clashing clothes all the time. You see greys and browns and blacks and whites and creams. And that's what I like to see because it doesn't jar the eyes so much. So that's, that's, that's the clothing. The meal times all take place at the exact same time every single day for every single person. So breakfast is early in the morning and nothing happens then until lunchtime, which is between 12 o'clock and 2.30 every single day. Um, I think there was something to do. Did I mention it before in another episode? Wasn't there something to do with um, factory conditions and the circulation of air for health and safety for everybody um, in the turn of the last century around the, the when the Industrial Revolution was getting into full swing. And they decided it had to be mandated for people to come and actually leave the building during work hours so that the windows could be thrown open and a little bit of air could be got into the place without everybody freezing to death. So that it did actually become part of law that you could not take lunch at your desk and you had to leave. Um, it also became a thing where anybody could join a table of diners um, and, 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 and that's a tradition that continues today and I see it all the time in France um, may I sit down of course you're very welcome and next thing you know there's a conversation happening between strangers which is extremely civilised in my view so mealtimes all happen at the same time and then there's evening meal again at the same time so it means that you don't have to worry about missing out if you're, you've gone off to have lunch somewhere because everybody else is on lunch too so that's civilised um, I've recently heard that the French are bringing drays back, horses, those huge big horses, to um, to pull the bin lorries along in certain villages in France. I can't remember the name of the villages where they've been done that already, but I do know there's a waiting list to have people start bringing their bin lorries around um, by horse. Um, and the constraint is that the village, whatever village takes up these um, these these horse drawn bin bin rounds, has to have paddocks big enough for the horses to be able to relax and gather their strength and have a change of horse. Um, they're also doing it for children getting to school. So uh, there's all these children who are going around stuffed into a huge big carriage and it's being pulled by a horse, which is just so nice. It was in a Guardian article that my mum sent me very recently over the last week. And again, there's a big long waiting list for um, for for villages to have horse drawn school buses, which is just such a cool idea. And the children apparently arrive at school very chilled out and very relaxed. Now, it does take a little bit longer than the regular school bus. But think about it. It doesn't make half as much of a noise. All it makes is a pleasant clip, clop, clip, clop um, through the village. And also because they're not ruminants like cattle, they don't release methane, apparently, into the air in the same way that cattle do. And of course, in France, they have a very good way of disposing with horses who die. They eat them and that's absolutely fine. I have no issue with that whatsoever. As long as it's done humanely and they have a very good life. Um, well, I don't want to think about it too much, but in general, I don't have a problem with it. So I sort of feel that France is in a way a land the time forgot in terms of how the people live. But on the other hand, it's always been super advanced uh, te technologically speaking on so many levels, on so many levels. Now, I know that it does have problems with, apparently, laziness um, and work shyness um, and people who are call themselves quiet quitters. In other words, they do the bare minimum of work. But I like the atmosphere. I do. I like it. It's a slower pace of life. It's a less uh, mammon driven pace of life. And we all love a bit of gold. But 
it is a, a place of life where you feel like, okay, if I have enough to live on, it's a beautiful climate here. I can go anywhere. I can go and have a holiday anywhere I like within France. I don't need a huge amount of money to have a good quality of life. I think, I think I'm all for that. I really do. So what can I say but to the end of this little segment, but vive la France. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm getting a bit curmudgeonly in my older age, in my older age. And I'm, it's not that I'm looking for a row, no. But if I see an injustice, if I see something that's just not on, well, I find myself more and more calling it out. So, for example, I have this bugbear that in Ireland, men get addressed as sir and women get addressed as nothing at all. And it happened to me, well, it happens a lot, but it happened to me in the last little while um, in Aldi. Um, the manager decided to step in and take over the till because uh, because the crowd, the queue had got too long. Um, and he addressed the two men who were ahead of me in the queue as sir. And when the time came for me to go through, he was an older man. He was in his probably late 40s, but he was um, very heavy. So he looked a lot older and he was bald. So he looked a bit older. But anyway, um, he addressed the two men in front of me as sir and addressed me as nothing. And I said to him, um, I'm sorry, you addressed those two men before me as sir, but you're not addressing me as anything. What's what's the story here? Well, he was fit to be tied. He he didn't really have a defence for that. And I suppose for that reason, he was furious. He was furious. He did not like being called out by this this woman, half his size and I don't know, definitely less than his girth anyway. I'm not sure by how much, but yeah. A, a woman much smaller than him. The next time that it happened was in Houston Station um, in Dublin. Um, there were two men and two women being served separately. Um, so four separate customers and I was one of the women. And the two men were kind of scruffy and they were both addressed as sir by the young male ticket seller. And myself and the other woman were addressed as nothing. Now, I didn't say anything at the time because the guy behind the till felt like he was kind of a little bit kind of like a nasty person. So I decided not to bother. So I got intimidated out of saying anything at that particular time. <laughs> I suppose that's the way it goes, law of the jungle. Um, and then the next time it happened was very recent. I suppose that I didn't have too many instances of, of having an opportunity for it because of the pandemic. But uh, look, I, I, I suppose I forget about it quickly enough. I'm not a complete mentler. But recently I was in, um, I was in Ordbia, it's a really gorgeous restaurant in the middle of town um, in Galway City. And my husband and I went there for lunch. And the uh, the waitress addressed my husband as sir and me as nothing. So I've decided the next time I'm going to go in, I'm going to say, uh, um, I've, I've been kind of going over to my mind a bit. It's been living, as I say, rent-free in my mind a bit too much. But I thought I might say something like, uh, uh, I'd really like it if you dress me as madam. Um, I love the way you dress my husband in that formal way. Would you, would you, would you, I'd, I'd appreciate it if you did the same to me and just see what happens. So I said something to this effect on Twitter and I immediately got a response from a woman who follows me. I don't know why she bothers because she doesn't seem to, uh, <laughs> she doesn't seem to care for my, my thoughts and opinions very much. But she said, uh, no, I haven't noticed, but then I'm not looking out for offence all the time. And I immediately thought, well, I'm not either. But then I thought, actually, I am. I am looking for offence all the time. So, um, so so okay so that's 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 those particularly offensive moments and yes I'm definitely going to uh to to make myself in a complete nuisance and annoy people and ruin their day um but you never know they might take it on board and decide do you know what maybe if I'm calling the men sir maybe it's time to call the ladies madam as well like they do in England and like they do in the states yes ma'am <laughs> 
Yes, ma'am. So when I was at my, at my daughter's parent-teacher meeting a while back, one of her teachers is American, and it was very much a case of, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. And I thought it was great. I really liked that. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I liked it. So I was in the post office the other day, and I was behind the man. I was behind a man who was about to be served, or he was in the process of being served by the, uh, by the postmaster. And I was waiting my turn. I was standing there, blah, blah, blah. And in comes another man who I know vaguely. So we'll call the first guy who was being served. We'll call him Philip. And we'll call me Ro, because that's my name. And we'll call the next person uh, Jason. And so Jason is the guy I know vaguely. And I didn't see Philip. So I didn't know who Philip was at the time. Anyway, in I'm, I'm standing there and I'm waiting for my turn. And next thing, Jason's behind me in the queue. So I think, OK, I've got a couple of minutes to wait. The guy who's before me, Philip, he's messing around and he was having trouble getting someone to accept a payment or something. I don't know. So he was clearly going to be a little while. So I started messing around on my phone. And suddenly I look up and Jason, the guy who's come in after me, is now being served. So there's still only one postmaster, but our friend, the postmaster, has darted between the two windows. And I looked at them and I looked at these two guys being served by another guy. Um, they're all middle-aged guys. And I think, what what the hell? Do I walk away and just take it on the chin and say nothing? Or do I actually say something? Because if I don't say anything, I'm just going to be furious at myself later on. So instead of saying, oh, I'm sorry, um, I think I'm next, like a nice little lady, I go, sorry, I'm next. And what is this? What's this about? Like as if there was a huge conspiracy going on. Which there wasn't, I'm going to hazard a guess that there wasn't a huge conspiracy going on. But I'm equally confident in thinking that they just didn't bother acknowledging the woman that I was. That's just standing there. So your man, Jason, who I, as I say, I know vaguely, he couldn't have got out of that post office quicker. He turned tail and he left because no one wants to deal with the mad woman. Absolutely no one, especially if she's wearing pink glasses and looks like an a really odd person. Anyway, Philip disappears. Sorry, not Philip, Jason. They're the, the pretend names anyway, so I'm getting confused. Jason disappears. And I go up to the uh, postmaster and he goes, I'm sorry, Roisin, I didn't see you there. So he knows me. He knows me perfectly well. And I said, oh, that's okay. And uh, I'm trying to be dignified and not kind of overdo it and go, oh, it's okay. He didn't see me. I'm trying not to do that. Anyway, doesn't the first guy, Philip, doesn't he turn around and to see what all the commotion is about? And isn't it someone I have worked with over a long period? I just basically mostly know him from Zoom. So I don't really know what he looks like from the behind so much. And he goes, Roisin, so good to see you. How are you doing? I haven't seen you for ages. Oh my God, it's been ages. And I'm going, Philippa, how are you? Oh yeah, so good to see you. So on the one hand, I'm trying to be kind of friendly towards Philip. On the other hand, I'm trying to be dignified and formal with the uh, postmaster and trying to keep my cool but uh basically I failed on both fronts um still I'm kind of glad I'm kind of glad so yeah I guess uh it's up to us totally confident and totally unafraid middle-aged ladies to stand up and say oi mate not so fast you know it's not a bad idea <laughs> watch the space One of the lovely things about the Rendezvous du Carnet de Voyage is that they have little art shops, art supply shops around the perimeter of the building. Um, I had wanted to buy some large format sheets of paper for the job that I was doing from the Wednesday onwards, but they didn't have any. 
However, my eyes did alight on a very expensive sketchbook range that I've had my eye on for a while. Um, I really wanted to try it out. Um, I think it's might be 350 gram paper. So it's pretty heavy duty paper. It's um, very expensive, as I say. So I went for the A6 size, which is the teeny tiny size of sketchbook, because I thought it'd be better to try out the paper than to uh, than to buy the 40 odd euro A4 size and realize that I didn't like the paper, which is what has happened to me before in the past. So I decided not to take any chances. Off I went with my little A6 size mm, sketchbook and I thought it was really nice. I really, really liked the, the quality of the paper. And I did a couple of small drawings of people and I did, um, what else did I do? That's what I did. I did a couple of small drawings of paper of people and enjoyed painting them in different colours and everything was great. But what I did notice was that the paper is exactly what I want. It is very, um, it doesn't absorb the paint too much and it doesn't resist the paint too much. So it strikes just the right balance in terms of how the paint behaves and if you have a granulating paint, it's going to granulate nicely on that paper as well. So I went back and got the large one um, and I haven't tried it out yet, but I have wanted a large portrait format A4 pad, a sketchbook for a long time. But the, here's the tip. Here's the tip bit. It's I'm not particularly telling you any particular brand or not. Um, just get the one you like. I mean, there's lots of really nice brands out there. There's Moleskin and there's Hanamula and there's Stillman and Burn and there's Lecterm and there's Dale Rowney and there's Sea White of Brighton. I mean, the list is endless. It goes on and on and on. It just depends which what type of paper you like. Um, but what's good about the little A6 sketchbook is the size you can take it anywhere you like in a in a in a in the back pocket of a pair of jeans um if you can fit a pen somewhere in another pocket well you're good to go really um but what i like about it is that when you see something that catches your eye you just draw straight up you don't have to say oh i need to find you know three quarters of an hour for me to do this drawing here you just fill it up and you have it done in no time at all uh, and that's what i've been finding myself doing i did a little drawing of the candlesticks on the dining room table there a couple of days ago. Then I went out and I drew Tyrone House up the road. And then I did the poinsettia on the table. Then I drew the dog pointing different directions because he kept moving. And it's all very nice. It's kind of cool. It's It feels like, uh, it just feels like you're capturing a full sketch because I do it in paint and everything without having to spend too much time. So you do feel like you're getting out of your system. So that's my tip really, is just to have your little A6 notebook by your side at all times and a small kit. I think this has been one of my tips before actually, but just to have it be, have it within reach um, really at all times so that whenever you do have half an hour during your day, whether it's your lunch hour or your tea break or whatever it is, you never need to be really bored and having nothing to do. So there you go. That's my tip. Get yourself a tiny notebook. One more tip for the road, because this one's a little bit more useful than just being told, oh, go and get yourself a very small sketchbook and put loads of sketches in it. How about something a little bit more practical? Well, it's Christmas in three weeks time, something like that, a little bit over. Mm. Um, and you might want to send a Christmas card to someone. 
I really should send a few cards myself because myself and my friends and my family, we've all been chatting about the credit crunch that's around at the moment and the, 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 the crazy inflation that so many of us are experiencing in our respective countries. So we were thinking that maybe, you know, keep it a little bit laid back, a little bit, a little bit pared back on the spending front this year. But that doesn't mean you can't send someone a card. And how much nicer if you sketch it yourself. My ladies, my gentlemen, my students, they wanted to do something to do with Christmas cards. And I came up with an idea. Well, myself and one of my students did because she had the same idea as I did to do something to do with pine cones with or without the addition of holly. So off I toddled into my garden to see what I could find. Now, the holly was fine, but it was a little bit dull. It wasn't variegated and it didn't have any red berries on it. So to be honest, I wasn't hugely inspired. But what was inspiring was the Korean pine that I have in my garden. The branches are stiff and very, very spiky. And they have these very sweet little pine cones sticking straight up along the branches. And some of them have... A sticky resin coming out the sides. So they made a really nice little composition. I snapped off a small little bit of a branch and I brought it into my studio and I painted it. So I had two things to paint. I had the needles, the green needles with the pines all over them. Sorry, the branches with the with the needles all over them. And I had the little pine cones themselves. So let's let's talk about the, the pine the little branches first. Okay, well, the colours I used were olive green ink by Detrimentis, and I also used uh, Emma, uh, Emma dark green olive ink by Roaring Klingner. Um, some of the branches go a little bit blue, bluey green as they approach the wooden central stick in the middle of each of the, the little the little twigs. But um, you can you can add little bits of blue if you want. I didn't really bother, but you can if you want. It would look nice. Now, the tips of the branches are a little bit yellow or green, so they're a bit fresher and a bit younger. Um, so you can maybe tone your ink down. Best case scenario, like me, you'll have loads of different colored inks. So I took um, a Diatramentus document green and I mixed it with Diatramentus document yellow. And I got a very, very nice pale yellowy color ink. And I use that for the for the tips of the little tiny twiggy branches. Then I darkened the little needles as I approached the centre of each of the boughs. The more I darkened them, the more, I suppose, realistic they looked. So that was good. Um, I used, as I say, olive green, um, particularly towards the base of the branches. And I also used, um, what else did I use? I even used little, uh, very, very sparingly, I used black ink just towards the pine cones to give the uh, to give the, the little needly bits a bit of weight, a bit of solidity, a bit of three dimensionality. So I'll, um, I, I'll use this. I'll use this picture for my uh, illustration for today's for today's uh, for today's episode, because the one I was going to use, the Tyrone House one, I don't think it's, you know, it's not really very impressive. I mean, it's nice and everything and I enjoy doing it, but I don't think it's quite as dramatic as the pine cone. And anyway, You've had loads of illustrations of Tyrone House since I began the podcast. So after I've done the little needly branches, the next thing to do was the pine cones. And there are three colours in the pine cones. There's a very pale brown. That's the little brackety leaves that stick out the uh, the, the kind of little gaps that, that, that circumnavigate each of the pine cones. And then there's the gaps themselves. And, with their, um, and then there's the little darker brown bits that the little leaves 
hang out of. Now, I'm not explaining it very well. You'd have to look at a pine cone to see what I mean. So what I did was I painted the pine cones themselves in a mid brown colour without worrying about any patterns. That's what I did first. And I made sure to leave the resiny bits completely unpainted. So they looked a bit like snow had landed on the pine cones or maybe just resin. Either way, they looked really nice. And when that was dry, I uh, I did concentric curves, getting smaller and smaller and smaller towards the top of each pine cone. And I drew those lines with the reverse of my nib so that they wouldn't be kind of really heavy and ugly. So I used the reverse of my 55 degree uh, fountain pen, um, my 55 degree food fountain pen. And I used document ink brown to do that. And then I once that was in place, then I hung the little leaves off each of these little curved lines. So um, so basically there, I just drew a series of ellipses starting at the base and working my way up. And as for the little leaves, I'm not sure, are they seeds? Uh, I think they are seeds. I think they fall out and, you know, blow away in the wind or something. But for them, I drew them um, a bit like stairs marching up the sides of the cones. Um, doesn't really matter if you don't get them in, 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 in the correct spirally pattern. They seem to work just as nicely without that. Once, once that was dry, then I used burnt umber and I painted between all of these little leafy bracts and Everywhere, really, that wasn't either pine, white resin or leafy bract. But you can still see the lines underneath the burnt umber. And when that was dry, then I very delicately picked out with a black ink some of the little gaps between the pine cone uh, layers. Um, and it worked really, really well. It worked really nicely. Um, and that was how I did the pine cones and the... Um, the branches of pine needles. However, what I would ask you to do is, well, I don't know about asking you to, but what you might like to do is um, put your own stamp of creativity onto your branch. And it's kind of nice because it means you can do anything you like. You can put robins on, you can put ribbons on, you could put some little gnomes hiding in the boughs. You could stick some on, cut them out and stick them on. You could do anything you like really to make it look very card-like. Or you could use your letter stamps to do some um, to do some writing at the top as well. So that is what I got my guys to do in class yesterday and I think they seem to enjoy it a lot judging by the amount of um, people's own efforts that I saw being put into the group they certainly seem to go down very well. So um, you still have time to send a card anywhere in the world and I think that it seems to be a bit of a, 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 a disappearing tradition but I think it's a nice thing to do. I think it's a nice thing to do and um, I think that I might get round to doing a few tomorrow morning. I have a couple of hours and I think it'd be a nice thing to do. So um, I guess go ahead and do that and enjoy it. <laughs> You know, sometimes I think about the way things have gone over the last year and I get kind of, I suppose, excited and overwhelmed. I went from teaching at the beginning of the pandemic to starting up a membership programme at the beginning of November. I'm a month into it now and I have all these beautiful, loyal students who have come back to me for a second month. For that, I'm very grateful. You know who you are and I thank you. Thank you so much for being such amazing students and friends. Okay, we're coming up to Christmas and I wanted to remind you of all the cool things I have. If you're a member of Sketch with Roisin, you get to have one of my very nice calendars of El Camino, the sketches I did in August 2021 along the Camino Inglés in Galicia, in northern Spain. 
The cal- calendars are beautifully produced by my friend and the head of the project, Gemma Cesar, up in uh, Santiago de Compostela. She did a gorgeous job. And if you are a member, you're only getting charged for the post and packaging and you're going to love them. No matter who you are, you can buy a book from me. I have an Urban Sketches Galway, which is a memoir of 25 years of living in Galway and loads of gorgeous, colourful, on-location sketches illustrating this beautiful town on the west coast of Ireland. It's only €23, which is really good value. It's a fabulous coffee table book and you can buy it through my website. If they're not in stock, I do have them, so drop me a line um, and I will get onto my fabulous webmaster, Ronan, and see if I can fix the stock thing. Because I do have a few few copies. I wouldn't say I have loads in stock, but I certainly have a few to keep you going for a while. I have lots of Dublin and Sketches and Stories. That was my third book. I am very proud of that book. It's beautifully produced by Merion Press. And it's a book of the history of Dublin, as told to me by my incredible brother, who knows everything there is to know about Dublin. Um... It's also my own observations of life as an on-street sketcher as I sat there over the course of a year. So I think you'll like that. It's a bit of a bit of fun, but it's beautiful too. And it would be a very fun and exciting alternative kind of a guidebook for anyone who loves Dublin. Then I have the Urban Sketching Handbook Drawing Expressive People. That's for the serious urban sketcher in your life or for anyone who you think is starting down the journey of on-location drawing. It's all about how to capture our fellow humans with, I suppose, wit and expressivity. And that one costs, I think it costs 16 euros and it's available through my website. The Dublin book, by the way, costs 25 and it's, again, a beautiful coffee table book and would make a lovely gift for anyone. I can promise you that. What else do I have? Oh, I still have some copies of Inktober, which is a, a really nice stocking filler. It costs 10 euros delivered anywhere in the world and it's a booklet of cartoons um, drawn by me, a bit bit crazy, a bit off-centre and they are all inspired by AI-generated prompts. So they're a bit mad as well. So those are a few little things that you can have this Christmas and you'll find them all on my shop on my website, roisincure.com. Meanwhile, if you want to expand upon your skills as a sketcher you should consider coming to one of my classes i do them on saturdays two o'clock gmt and tuesdays 7 p.m gmt um totally free for members and you can you can access the classes as a non-member for six euros um complete with recording so you don't have to worry about being there so that about wraps it up for episode 50 in which nothing particularly incredible happens um, but I will try and do a little bit better next week uh, <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed this week's uh, this week's listen um, I've enjoyed talking to you as I always do um, and whether you're making Christmas cards or whether you're painting whatever's going on at home or whether you're getting up to I don't know some kind of a sketch in a coffee shop or just generally out in the world. I wish you as always, happy sketching.